Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Pretty comprehensive from Henry Beebe, and that's where we kick off with the Bloodstock Report. Ian Bartlett, your thoughts on that? Um, well, Henry operates at the top end of the market, and I suspect... Well, I think he operates at all ends of the market, but yes. Uh, OK, yes. But the problem is not at the top end of the market. It's obviously further on down in the market. As for being surprised it leaked, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> everything leaks these days. I'm not at all surprised it uh, came up. Whether If you're going as the BHA to get the bloodstock industry to, or the auction uh, industry to sort itself out, and you've got a lot of them involved, and not they might pay lip service to being, yeah, we'll help out, we'll move forward. Not all of them are going to be the same as Henry, mm. I'm afraid, and I suspect that's where their leak come from. So I'm not surprised the leaks come up. And... Um, you know, down, lower on down. I've never gone. I've never gone to buy an unraced horse uh, at an auction. I'd imagine it's a fearsome thing to do. Um, but um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot of stories. But you have bought horses in public auction, uh, either through a third yes, party yeah, no, or personally. Have, yes, yes, yes. And have you ever felt compromised, or do you feel that it's because of your knowledge of the game that you wouldn't feel compromised? Um, uh, I didn't feel compromised because I've instructed them that the, the train that's going to train it, it is dealing with it and they, they, they know better about what's going on now than I would do. I wouldn't go and do it myself. I would get somebody... That, I mean, that's the, the problem here is if you're coming into the game as a new owner, who do you get to buy a horse for you? That is your biggest problem. And you need to have complete trust in that person, Walter. Without doubt. Um, I buy horses... Um, from my friends in Scandinavia on a very small level. Uh, obviously, um, I have bought both yearlings and, and horses that have been in training, and um, I have always felt comfortable in what I'm doing. As Barty says quite rightly, I think the problem rears its head when it's somebody new to the business. They've got a lot of money to spend, or they've got an, some some money to spend, and they think, "Who am I going to get? Who am I, who's going to buy this horse mm. for me?" And they know nothing about the game. Those people can be vulnerable in any walks of life, whether it be buying racehorses, or getting involved in the stock market, or whatever. There is that always that little doubt. And that's why you need a code of practice to ensure that those people are not taken advantage of and we don't lose that money from the sport. And I think that is where this could take the... I think, take this, I think the that's the way it should go. We're going to move on because time is against us. We're going to move on to the headline on this morning's Racing Post, which is that the levy board has bookmakers in its sights over payment for cash back offers, <laughs> William Darby. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think it references Cheltenham Festival 2019, which um, I was there, and it was a bonanza for punters. There were so many wonderful offers, if you were a punter, in terms of enticing you into, into the sport and mm. to get involved in, yeah, in the race. Wonderfully that, enticing offers, enticing, but not necessarily and, wonderful offers, yeah. Yes, but, but marketing, marketing the sport to the, to the sports fan, the sports better, which, which is a good thing in and of itself. So that's, that's the main thing. Um, I think what the levy board are doing are, are checking that 
it's fair, the, the, the accounting for those bets and those offers, and that it's within the code of practice that they have with the bookmakers and legal. So, so they have asked the bookmakers, uh, as I understand it from the report in the paper, to, to clarify how those bets are, are free bets are being treated and, and cashback offers, etc., which is a healthy mm. state to be in dialogue between the levy board and the, and the bookmakers. But the underlying fact is there was a surprise £17 million shortfall in the levy yeah. yield, which came as a surprise to all racecourses, all constituents, and that has a huge impact on prize money and the ability to fund the sport. So yeah. it is incumbent on the levy board and the bookmakers to work together to ensure there's a fair system of dealing with dealing with free bets and cashback offers. I mean, and let's be clear here, Barty, because the ramification of this is that you know, racing is, is essentially underwriting the bookmakers' marketing spend, and we can't really allow that to happen. No, I mean, it, it, the, the question is, is it an accounting trick by the bookmakers and how they're reporting? It is basically the underlying thing with us. Uh, and the answer I would suggest is probably yes. probably yes. Right, we shall move on to another Cheltenham-related story. This, these are the changes to the National Hunt Chase, a suite of recommendations this week uh, from the BHA, including reducing the field size of the National Hunt Chase, reducing the distance of the National Hunt Chase, and tightening up the qualifications for the riders involved. I can't see anything in this that I disagree with, Walter, but I don't want to lead the witness. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you tell me from your point of view whether you think uh, they've done the right thing. Um, I wouldn't be the best person to ask about... National Hunt Racing. Um, obviously, I watch the festival. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that one. I think I'll leave it to some of my other <laughs> more <laughs> updated uh, co-guests here to answer that one, Nick. Um, um, I think what the race course has done here is say to the uh, participants in this, so the amateur riders, but the trainers as well, look, something has got to be done because of what happened this year. We're doing something, but we've <coughs> done we've kept the spirit of the race it's now up to you i.e the riders trainers owners in the race next year to make sure it doesn't look as bad as it did in 2019 because mm. it's only two furlongs shorter the riders have to be more experienced uh, the horses have to be better so the bha and cheltenham are doing everything they can to keep the race as similar as it is at the moment it's now incumbent on those that take part in the race to keep it uh, as, uh, how do you put this, good-looking uh, yeah. as it can be. Uh, optics is the word of the moment, isn't it? Yeah, the word that no-one really used until about a year ago. Now everyone uses all the time. But it is about the optics now, William. Yeah, and, and Cheltenham have got a very successful track record in evolving and tweaking and improving the festival from, from what it was when we were younger to what it is today as a beacon of, of the jump season and such a, such a showpiece for the whole sport. Um, so, so there's some very good people involved in this and they will take a considered view of, of how to move the festival forward, both with this race and other races and the race programme. Considered and evidence-based. Now there's a new Mayor's Chase going into the Cheltenham Festival, which no one seems to, or well, very few people seem to be supportive of this week. What it means, Barty, is that one race has to go west. It does. So which race should it be? Um, I... I uh, the favourite to go is the Novices Handicap Chase. The 0 to 145, yes. is it? Yes, that's favourite to go because it's the lowest turnover race. It's the lowest turnover race because it's the last race on the Tuesday. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the way people, or you know, somebody priced it up, they've looked in completely the wrong way. 
in that the turnover on each race depends not only on the race itself, but where it is on the card. It's not the, the novices and the close box race. It isn't on telly. Uh, sorry, it's not on ITV. It's obviously on uh, RTV. Um, uh, and so uh, that's uh, the reason for that. Um, uh, the, the one they could possibly move has been touted as the Fred Winter, the four-year-old handicap hurdle, because that has and has had an effect on the triumph mm. hurdle. So and has produced no winner of any great consequence either. That's the other. Well, the, it's the race itself that you should mm. be um, interested. You could you could move that to Kempton on the Saturday certainly uh, and put the most race in. I if you look at the turnover, betting turnover, the one that doesn't punch its weight is the two and a half mile conditions novices chase. And as this is going to be a two and a half mile conditions mares chase, you could swap those in. Will you swap that out to? Don't know. Move it to Cheltenham in April. Mm, it'd be, that was probably the best place for it. Do you like the idea of the Mayor's Chase, William? I think a lot of these new races, at first, as you, as you mentioned, there's a bit of a scepticism and a bit of a can't quite see that and does it detract from the Gold Cup, a, a, a mayor running in, the, in, in an equivalent race. But I think these races often find their feet and a, and a heroine comes along and, and they become part of the tradition of the festival. So in 20 years' time, it's a, non, it's a non-issue. What I'd think Cheltenham would be clever in doing and announcing the new race, and all the Jumps fans can have lots of debates and pub chats about which race to go and engage in the process, almost like a public vote, yeah. an X factor on, on how it runs. Um, my bet is that they'll squeeze an extra race in. They'll keep one race and add the new one. Interesting. I have and no that's from, and this is from a man who knows about these kind of tricks as well. <laughs> no, so no, you're no, getting no, it. I have no it takes knowledge. one to know one. <laughs> a million pound sky by Ebor, by the way, takes place uh, next Saturday. <laughs> Thank you. Right, here, uh, front page of the paper today, Era of the Super Philly. Excellent piece by Lee Mottershead, a regular guest on this programme, talking about how and why fillies and mares have started to dominate global horse racing. We'll see it again this week. Yeah, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, before we get on, I'm sure we, you're going to lead us into wait, uh, mayor's allowance, etc. But can we just celebrate the wonderful fillies we've seen over the last few years? Obviously, Enable, obviously, Winks and Trev before. Um, isn't it brilliant that those female superstars, those heroines of the sport, have stayed in training, haven't been rushed off to stud? Credit to especially Enable with Judmont to, to keep her in training this year. And as Barty said earlier, go for the hopefully the third arc to triumph. Um, it, it's wonderful that people can really latch on to those fillies and mares as they did in Australia with Winks um, and, and celebrate, celebrate the females and create what wonderful scenes and a great horse race that we saw in the King George. I mean, we've talked about the Mayor's Allowance, Philly's Allowance on the programme quite a few times before, but should they have it at the top level? Why not? I don't see any... Yeah, I didn't realise... I mean, is it, a, is it a golden era? I mean, like Pebbles, Pawnees, Dahlia, Allée France, all of those? They, I mean, Phillies have always done well, haven't they? I mean, for years, the art was dominated by Phillies. Well, three-year-old Phillies particularly, because yeah. they got the huge weight allowance, the huge age allowance, and the huge sex allowance. I mean, should, in which case people say, well, is this being unfairly swayed to, to one section of the horse population? Um, These group one races. Well, I don't know. I mean, this is the same thing as the mares, the, the, the jumping mares, isn't it? If, it, it not all of them are as good, not all of them are as consistent. If you don't give them an allowance in general, you won't get them racing. If you don't get them racing, you don't have as many horses running. So, yeah, I mean, OK, at the top level, 
but you can't. So it's possible you just can't say that's a very good one, so it doesn't get an allowance. It's an equine form of positive discrimination, essentially. Isn't yeah, it? and but it's existed for many, mm. many decades, centuries, um, and and I think we've seen competitive racing as a, as a result. Uh, this week at a an AGM, um, uh, a stable staff or racing staff AGM, a NAS AGM, Nick Rust spoke, and he answered questions and his answers were reported and he has written a letter to the Racing Post saying absolutely fine that they were reported but you need to understand the context in which those uh, comments were given and they were sort of in an off-the-cuff Q&A fashion. They're not necessarily indicative of BHA policy. Important to note that as regards the next two points, particularly when he talked about the whip, when he said he, the whip might well go at some point, he's not sure, 98% of the public had never seen a horse in the flesh, data that he's subsequently admitted is not you know, absolute and was kind of anecdotal, so it's a contextual thing. But Walter, you're somebody who's ridden in a country where where there was no whip. How did it work? Well, there was, when I rode in, in Scandinavia, in Norway in particular, mm. where there is no whip now. The whip was taken away completely. A small whip is allowed in two-year-old races just for correction, but no, no whip in, in races for older horses. In my day, the whip was allowed, but gradually it sort of came to, you were allowed to carry a whip but not use it, and then it became that we rode with a small whip in all races and you couldn't pull it through. You just had it as a corrective measure. Now, I have seen it firsthand. First of all, Sweden and Denmark, they have the same whip rules as here, but you're only allowed three strikes. And they're very, very strict on that. But they're allowed to carry a whip and they're allowed to use it. Now, I have seen it firsthand the implication of letting riders go out in a race with no whip. It's just like a workman who hasn't got any tools. We are all taught to ride properly from a young age or whatever age. A whip is part of the equipment. And it's strange to see how the racing has changed in a country where no whip is allowed. It might be to do something to do with the, the riders that are there. They're nearly all South American riders. But they have no tactical awareness whatsoever. They have all kinds of equipment on these horses, like, like the trotters have. They have something called flexible blinkers. They pull them up and they pull them down. And uh, Horses need... I, I was listening to Dermot. In, in a line, because we've got to kick on, and we can come back to the end of the programme if you want, but in a line, what's the, what's the net effect on... Norwegian horse racing. The net effect is that it it doesn't you know it doesn't look pretty at all, because once you drop a horse out, if you haven't got a whip, even to just to have it to show it to him, you don't have to hit him, you can get them going again. So all races now are run at breakneck speed because everybody wants to be there. They don't want to drop a horse out, so it's, so it's not pretty to watch at all. Right, and on that we move on to the stable staff AGM, which is continuing. Um, the point about the, the Q&A that Nick Rust took, where he said that the BHA were ready to clamp down on trainers who were not looking after their workforce properly, which, you know, what's wrong with that? Other than the fact that we talk about perception a lot, Ian, perception has come back that, you know, if you'd just landed from, from Mars, you'd think we were s still operating in the era of the Victorian workhouse. And I think a lot of stable staff and people who employ stable staff are, are, are rather upset at the rhetoric because they yes. feel that they've put a hell of a lot of effort into making working conditions a lot better. Yes, it's, um, yes, this is the, this is the Dick Rust um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
uh, uh, Q&A, Q&A and R's AGM. about that. Yes, uh, yes, I think he might have been like um, uh, shooting off script a little bit uh, uh, with some of that. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, there was a, there was a, a, a quote uh, in it about um, trainers are licensed and uh, we'll chase them down with a stick if they're not looking after their workforce. Well, employment rights is something that's governed by law. And that's where it goes first. It's not for the BHA. This is, you know, yes, they want to look after everybody in the industry, but the, the, the relationship you have with the employer is governed by law, not by the BHA. William? I think it's really important that, that A, Nick's comments were put in context mm, and which he's done very well in a specific in a question, and B, the, the wonderful work that goes on in the, the vast majority of, of stable yards around the country of very good practices, very good employment conditions, very well-paid staff compared to the rest of the equine industry. I know Richard Fahey put out a tweet last night saying how, how well that team is rewarded and remunerated and looked after. And, and whenever I've been in yards around us in Yorkshire and, and elsewhere, the, the staff there are hugely professional, hugely engaged in their, in their jobs. And I think, I think it will be a shame if the impression is given that the working conditions in a, in a racing yard are terrible because anything but from my experience. Oh, William, thank you very much indeed. And those were this week's Talking Points. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai.